Well, hello, hello, hello. Hey, Kim. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Welcome to another episode of The Broadcast. We're so fancy now. Have you seen our little sign in Sorgatron Media Studio window? <laughs> it's like, so exciting. We're so legit. <laughs> I know. It's just nice that other people now know we're legit. I know. I mean, we always knew we were legit, I know. but it's fine. The it's validation. Have, yes, oh it's good to have external validation. Yeah. Um, and so for people that maybe are joining us for the first time, welcome. If you are joining us for the second or third or bajillionth time, we thank you for coming back. And yes, that is a real technical term, bajillionth. Wow. wow. Yeah. I learn something every time we record. Something new. <laughs> Even if it's lies. Yeah. <laughs> <Don't care. laughs> but um, if you want to keep up with the broadcast podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at BroadcastPGH, on Facebook at the broadcast underscore PGH, and Instagram at the broadcast underscore PGH. And our website is broadcast-podcast.com. Mm-hmm. And if you would like to support the show, Yay. we thank you, first of all. Yeah. And you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash broadcastpgh. And you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. And if you want to sponsor us or partner with our show, oh, you'll be our new best friend. Totes and best you can friend. sit down and have coffee with us. You can drop us a line at the broadcast pgh at gmail.com. And we just want to thank some of our Patreons right now. Uh, we have Patreon patrons, I should yeah. say. So we have Lisa Earl, Teresa Kaufman, Anonymous, yes. which is so, so, so sexy. Exciting. I don't I know. know. I love it. It's Anonymous. Yeah. And our newest one. <laughs> I know. Bobby Cherry. Bobby Cherry. First awesome. of all, best name. Yeah. Bobby Cherry. A good friend of both of ours yes. for a long time. And he was inspired by a recent episode. Actually. That's right, with Lisa Lurie. Yeah, the cancer was, be glammed. It was wonderful, and so yeah, he's very supportive of the uh, community, and yep. he just I think wanted to get on board and help. Yeah, how about the ladies? Stepped on up. Yeah, he's awesome. He is Thanks, great. Bobby. We love you. We love you, Bobby. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, we love a lot of people, but <laughs> we have a great guest that we love. Oh my on god, today. Segway Queen. Oh, so good. Thanks, guys. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Today's guest is a good friend of both of us for yes. a long time. It's Mila Sanina. She's executive director of Public Source, mm. Pittsburgh Public News Source. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about public media. We're going to talk about the First Amendment. We're going to talk about, man, so All much. All within 30 minutes. 30 minutes. And go. <laughs> Mila, welcome. I'm so glad we finally have her on. I know. We've we been talking to, about this for a long time. Mila on. Thank so, you. Thanks for coming. I'm really excited to be on this podcast. So I hope you didn't like fan. just overwhelm me to sound like, ah, there's a lot of energy. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. Good. I love your energy. Oh, thank you. So um, you have been with Public Source for how long now? Two years? It's going to be two years wow. in July. Wow, wow. That's a fast two years. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You've really ramped up the visibility, I think, of Public mm-hmm. Source. It's been around for a little while, but you kind of ramped up the visibility. I think having you on board, obviously, you know... Um, Having a young female presence. Female presence. Really smart person. Yeah. yeah. What made guys. Thank you. No, it's (laughs) it's true. I've seen it. I've seen a definite change and uh, more of a direction towards what's really going on in community. So when you took on this role, what were you hoping to inject it with? Because you come with your own ideas and your own perspective. Well, first of all, um, thank you for having me on. I love this show and I'm very excited to be here. Uh, Second of all, I... um, I also um, want to say that since I'm sitting with two journalists in the room, it's uh, very exciting to mm-hmm. be having this conversation. Um, when I took on um, this new role at Public Source, I was at the stage of my career when, where I was thinking that I really want to lead my own newsroom. And 
Uh, since Pittsburgh owns my heart, I uh, mm. wanted to stay local. And um, I wanted to do local journalism because uh, this is the type of journalism that I think is underappreciated how much impact you can make um, locally and how much it matters to the people who are your neighbors. Um, And I also, um, I wanted to be disciplined in the vision. So there is really two aspects, big aspects of public source. One is accountability and Mm -hmm. being check on government and on those in power in general. And the second aspect is building a community. That's why you have a big, um, prominent uh, place for community voices on publicsource.org, uh, where journalism is not really done in isolation at the community, but more with the community, where people write for us, we, they work on editing their stories, they pitch us stories, and they get an intimate sort of relationship with the content or a story and essay that they produce. And plus, you know, it's also appreciation, I think, on uh, of the knowledge that it resides in a lot of neighborhoods. Um, you know, everybody talks about helicopter journalism uh, nationally and internationally, but, you know, we don't necessarily talk about it uh, locally. We know very well that Pittsburgh is the city of neighborhoods, and who knows a neighborhood better than the person who lives there? So I think that um, keeping those things in mind of, you know, being what um, press was always supposed to be, to being a platform for robust wide-ranging, very rigorous debate on public issues. And the second is just giving voice, not to the voiceless, but more those who have not been really heard. Mm -hmm. So coming from your background being in journalism and working as a journalist and then stepping into a more of a leadership position, what were some of those transitions like for you? Uh, That's a big leap. Yeah. Yeah. And not all leaders in journalism, like editors tend to be the people who get promoted to managers, but right. those aren't always like skills that overlap really well. So Yeah, it, it's it, it was hard. It's still mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. I think that it's hard to be disciplined. You know, I do all the aspects of the operation. I get my I um, get involved in content because that's what's why I'm still in journalism. It's my passion. But I also have to worry about fundraising, about the, you know, the future of public source, how we're expanding or making uh, smart pivots and things like that, which was a completely new skill. I mean, talk about the drinking out of a fire hose, mm-hmm. you know, a few yeah. months of my job or like I have never worked in a nonprofit. I mm-hmm. mean, I always was working for I mean, I had public media experience, but it was nothing like that. Um, I had not had a relationship uh, in in the community that were that have been critical in developing funding base, and it was it was difficult. And I think we're still in this, you know, as journalists nationally is going through all of these transitions. It's still hard because we're trying to figure out the future, while we are, you know, trying to build the sculptures out of mud. Where like mm-hmm. you're just are every day trying to see, okay, what is everybody doing across the country, and then what are the informational gaps, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I do think that there is, there have been a lot of conversations on what what's getting lost when. Um, 
local media gets cut or like uh, some of the aspect, like some uh, reporting bits get cut. I think that that's um, a very legitimate question, something that I always think, but to answer, to think about, um, but to answer your question, it was, it was very tough. And I think that I still struggle with it. I mean, the truth is that my passion is in journalism. Mm -hmm. And if it were up to me, um, I would probably write stories all day long. But mm -hmm. the truth is, is that it's more challenging to figure out what the future looks like because mm -hmm. it's yet uncharted. And I see it maybe it's going to sound grandiose as a personal responsibility to, um, to keeping it alive. So my, my issue with people when they talk smack on journalists, <laughs> right, is they're, you know, they say, oh, well, you know, young people aren't engaged. They're not reading the newspapers, but we are engaged. We're just finding our media in other outlets and in other formats. So can you talk a little bit about what it's like to be truly digital first in the sense that public source is an online publication? Yeah, you know, I, I guess we are unusual because a lot of people think that because we write a lot of in-depth stories that our demographic skews older. It's not true. 70% mm -hmm. um, of readers of public source are millennials and Gen X. That's fascinating. So mm -hmm. you actually have a very interesting phenomenon where people do care about it, but if you keep giving them crap, Mm -hmm. You know, like what is the what, what is there? You know, traffic, yeah. weather, and sports—you can consume only so much of it. Yeah. And how much? You know, I mean, I keep bringing Rathlisberger's shoulder, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> how much can you really care about that? And yeah. how much influence it has on your, you know, daily lives? Does yeah. it does it impact the quality of your kids' education? Hmm. Does it impact the quality of water that you drink? Does it impact the cost of housing in your community? I mean, no, it doesn't. And people are not stupid to uh, not know that. I think that's where, unfortunately, again, you know, talking smack on journalism and the media. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, like it's one big know, monolith. Yeah, exactly. We're all in cahoots. It's so abstract yeah. and it's unfair because if you know all the, all the offerings that are out there, uh, you know that the media as the term is a little bit meaningless. But you you touched on something though that you know uh, that I I sort of think about and I and I struggle with a lot in terms of you know media being um, accountable um, to issues that affect people directly that affects their their daily lives and I think you know we get away from that a little bit and I I think we we journalists people who are in decision making in in a lot of American journalism. They, tr they have an assumption about their readership that they're not that intelligent, that they're not engaged, that we can, it's the bread and circuses, right? That we can just sort of give them uh, things to distract them that are shiny. And, and you know, you, you, I think sports media is one example where there's a lot of really good work being done in sports journals. And a lot of people, you know, they cover these, these are not easy beats. It's very hard to travel with a team, mm -hmm. for instance. There's a lot of good work being done. But, you know, you, you like you said, you keep shoveling uh, garbage at people that that's all they have to eat and so of course they're going to consume it so so how do you how do you give people the vegetables which is sort of the you know the really important stuff like this is what happened at the city council meeting and this is how this bill is going to affect your daily life without making them feel so overwhelmed that they can't consume anymore you know you have to give you know i don't think you have to give them dessert all the time but i think how Making do you me hungry, that? Kim. Sorry, I'm sorry. My <laughs> metaphor is all about food. And so, but, I, but I do think that the, that sort of steady diet of really 
serious news can become in its own way overwhelming. So how do you find that and balance? depressing and depressing? Right? And, and, and you know, people have to think about their own. You know, there's so much going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Thinking about your own sort of mental state, your own mental health, and the amount of news you can consume without it becoming too much. How do you balance that as someone who manages a newsroom and sort of manages the content that you're putting together and that you're putting forth? It's an excellent question because you know I think um, it talks to uh, the this um, uh, sometimes lack of discipline, right? Because the measure of success in a lot of digital focused newsrooms is the scale and the amount of the number of page use users you have. And that's only, and it's limiting, and it's mm-hmm. limiting in a lot of ways because it actually reproduces a healthy cycle. If that's how mm-hmm. you measure success, exactly, yeah. then it's gonna force you to actually, okay, replicate it. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna be feeding what, uh, not necessarily thinking about the quality and what the long-term implications are, uh, but thinking about, okay, I want really fast sort of feedback. And I, unfortunately, obviously, you know. I I'm not from the United States, and it's I don't like to talk uh, yeah, sort of uh, badly about this country because it's my home now. Mm-hmm. But I also think that it's a commentary what has been co- going on in the media world mm-hmm. about our society in general. We like this uh, immediate um, sort of reward, right? Yeah. And if you think about the stories that get a lot of uh, exposure and page views, are the stories that like you know ten ways you can like get your body slimmer or whatever I mean I'm just Mm -hmm. saying that it's like quick fixes but Mm -hmm. the thing is that the ingrained and institutional problems in our societies are not quick fixes if they were they wouldn't be problems right (laughs) yeah and I think that you know and I and with public source where I struggle is that you know to strike a balance is for me, it's not about maybe entertainment and negative or positive. It's about authenticity mm-hmm. and about depth, right? So authenticity is reached through first-person narrative because mm-hmm. when people read somebody's essay, they can relate to it. Mm-hmm. And the voices vary. It's like it's, uh, you know, it, it could be um, a CYF worker or it could be a teenager who is in experiencing the changes in his community mm-hmm. and seeing what gentrification looks like. Yeah. So I, th- I think that, that this is like, I, not to say that it's like entertainment, but it's, it's a way to get at authenticity. And mm-hmm. I think there's so much content today so that... Much. You know, it's unfair to expect people to consume, you know, 30 URLs that you produce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and and people are not, you know, we have had those conversations. Is it really worth uh, publishing a lot of national, international news when people know that, for example, public source is not going to have a reporter in Syria? Yeah. We, You know, you have CNN and New York Times for that. So we really try to, we know what other media organizations are offering in the city and what we try to offer something that uh, may not be uh, offered elsewhere. Do you think that having worked in both now public and having worked in media in the private sector, what do you think the future is going to be like for journalism? Because if we continue down the road of, like to your point earlier, if it's all about numbers and click-through rates to 
pay off advertisers, right? We might as well just play dancing cat videos from YouTube because they get millions of and football, pins, you know, <laughs> and football, right? So, so do you think cats that cats playing football? Yeah, cats playing, cats football. playing football. That is the holy we grail, just right there. Let's on the ideal, media that's like a hundred million views <laughs> yes. in an hour. We just patented that. No one steal it. <laughs> because my concern is, you know, sometimes we fall into like you were saying that the 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 clickbait trap of okay, yeah, this got a a ton of views on our website, but it's it's not important. It's not uh, influencing our lives. It's not impacting our lives. Do you think news moving forward, real journalism would be better served under a nonprofit umbrella? Because then you're not beholden to those same standards or same, you know, metrics, metrics yeah. that you are when you have to pay people through advertising. You know, I, I don't have an answer to that question because I do think that nonprofit media is going to play a huge role mm -hmm. in what the future of journalism is going to look like. But I also don't see it as a holy grail. You mm -hmm. know, there mm -hmm. have been a lot of questions of, oh, do you see public source expanding and becoming like sort of a, uh, all, all, all in, like everybody, whomever comes from the Pittsburgh region finds whatever they mm -hmm. like. And the truth is that it's impossible right now. Right now, realistically, I am not seeing that it's possible because I have not seen in other markets mm -hmm. the perfect uh, replication of, say, you know, a daily newspaper in 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 a nonprofit or any other way, mm -hmm. where you see a lot of nonprofit filling in the gap is exactly sort of accountability mm -hmm. reporting, politics. You know, you think about VT, VT Digger or Texas Tribune. You know, always gets quoted mm -hmm. uh, about uh, Voice of San Diego and Min Post, but there is really no. Uh, at least not yet, the uh, mirror image of what, say, a daily newspaper has been providing mm -hmm. in the nonprofit world. I think it will be a part of the equation, but it won't, it, it, right now, I don't see it as being an ultimate solution. Mm -hmm. But do you think that the reason there isn't one uh, nonprofit local you know, template because every community is different. Every community is going to respond differently to its media, right? That Pittsburgh yeah. is different than San Diego is different than Austin is different than you know, Montpelier. Yeah. There's different, you know, the communities just look different. And so they're going to respond to their news differently. I think that's something that newspapers may, maybe never got a good handle on. Yeah. And not to switch topics mm -hmm. or to change directions a little bit, but I am curious, you know, with, um, with President Trump's antagonistic behavior towards the media, did you find that that was impacting how you guys were looking at how you were doing your jobs and the work that you've produced? Or did you feel like regardless of who's in office, you're doing the same types of stories, the same types of work? Uh, you know, it's an excellent question. I think uh, everybody, everybody, no matter whether it's a local newsroom, mm -hmm. national newsroom, had an existential moment, right, when the president, uh, when uh, Donald Trump was elected president. And we had that conversation about, you know, there have been a lot of uh, legitimate criticism on the media mm -hmm. of, you know, not enough listening, you know, uh, are you covering and capturing the community and all of that. And we had that existential moment. I think in the style of reporting, I, I don't see whether it would be, you know, Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. It doesn't matter. What does matter, though, it's the policy implications that are taking place nationally and mm -hmm. are now uh, reverberating locally. That really matters. But I also think that sometimes, and I'm going to be probably an unpopular voice on that, but I think everybody needs a nemesis like Donald Trump, mm. especially like in the press corps. Because if you look internationally, 
Turkey, Russia, you know, there have been a lot of, a lot of countries that have seen just this where journalists ended up either with a bullet in their head or behind the, the bars mm -hmm. or their family got threatened, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that it actually, in a weird way, it forces people to produce and consume mm. um, good information and start appreciating it. Mm -hmm. uh, because we are having now existential questions about what is this republic about? What is, you know, what is the First Amendment? What are we talking about? Why is it so important? Mm -hmm. And I think those conversations are healthy, albeit they are uh, provoked by really antagonistic attitude uh, towards media. So it's a, we were almost becoming complacent, do you think, in, in general? in the media maybe a little bit that we were, I don't know, I think political reporting especially was a little bit too complacent and too comfortable and too enamored of access, you know, to, to really, and now it's, it's really forced some soul searching or at least re-examining how you do things. I would, I would say even, absolutely, and yeah. I would say even more, I would say even that locally, independent mm -hmm. of, of, of your party affiliation, nobody likes scrutiny. Nobody likes transparency. Mm, People right. would fight and would find a way to justify mm -hmm. uh, why this is not public information. And mm. I think that's what we're seeing, unfortunately. The effect is that it assumed and the relationship becomes very antagonistic. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think that it's just the reaction of power on yeah. people's ability to challenge it. Yeah. So one of the things, Mila, that has always impressed me about you is how much you read. What mm -hmm. is something that you're reading right now that you think people should really read? Because seriously, she, the stuff she recommends and the stuff she, she's just constantly reading, what's something that you, is like right now is like you, the best thing that you've read or something you want to recommend? Uh, so I talk about existential questions. So um, <laughs> I actually am reading a biography of Benjamin Franklin mm -hmm. and by Isaacson, and I think that it's a, it's a great book uh, because it talks about the because he was in the state of Pennsylvania he was the guy oh, yeah. who was working in the press room who was working for Philadelphia Gazette and he was there <laughs> when it was all started when he was saying that the press is supposed to be the check on power uncompromising mm -hmm. caustic sometimes aggressive mm -hmm. and you have to tolerate it because this is what the fight is about mm -hmm. so I think that uh, everybody should read Benjamin Franklin biography can I just say that that question was in no way rehearsed I had no idea what her answer was going to be but oh. i'm so proud of myself it was like this nailed it <laughs> uh, it was I good know. job kim thank you <laughs> pat myself on the back yeah i need that once in a while the validation <laughs> so um coming up this week um you are going to be part of a first amendment conference in pittsburgh tell us a little bit about what is kind of the goal of this yes. conference and sort of what you're hoping to get out of it and to uh, contribute to it? So um, uh, a group of foundations, specifically the Heinz Endowments and the Pittsburgh Foundation, um, are organizing this First Amendment conference. It's going to be a conversation about all the freedoms that are ingrained in the First Amendment, um, from the freedom of expression to the freedom of assembly uh, and freedom of speech. And all of those, you know, and the freedom of the press, of yeah. course, you know, and freedom of religion. So all of these freedoms are going to be explored. And the idea is that only by reinstating and exercising those freedoms, those freedoms are going to be 
sustained into mm-hmm. generations because mm-hmm. if they're just written on, on paper and people are not aware of using them and reinstating them by that use, they're going to die. Mm-hmm. So the um, the idea is that to explore all of these aspects, April Ryan is going to speak at that conference and uh, explore you know the all of these freedoms um, across from local to national to international. There are a lot of great speakers there. And I think it's going to be a great conversation. I think that um, this past events in the city's local media ecosystem have uh, also made it quite timely. Yeah, for sure. So what um, if people were going to check out a story that you think best exemplifies public social, what's a story that you steer people to is here's an example of the work we do and the impact that we have. I hate to have make you pick favorites because I know I'm sure they're all your favorite. But is there some one piece that you're especially proud of or that you think really exemplifies what Public Source does and what its impact is in the community? Um, I would probably refer people to two different, you know, to talk about what f- fundamentals we usually um, follow. One, the community, our project about let's talk about race mm-hmm. and the discomfort of Pittsburgh and the region. To That's tackle really that valuable. Yeah. yeah. So it's that was, uh, uh, it's still, you know, we have essays that have been featured and a lot of great illustrations that actually have been shared mm-hmm. all across the city. And I heard that in the of community meetings those people print it out and bring it wow. and ask questions about what are you going to do about inequities uh, so that's powerful those yeah. examples are very powerful and I would say you know probably our investigation into police software and mm-hmm. the um, controversy associated with that because albeit a lot of the work is not really seen but that there have been dozens and dozens of people we talked about for that investigation it has lasted for now more than a year and it has actually transpired into change the city council is now looking what is the best way to um, screen the potential contracts and and it's not over um, you know it's going to be interesting we have filed so many right to know requests mm. and the city uh, has been really fighting us on the transparency issue so that's been really challenging uh, to cover that story yeah and that's an example too of one that maybe didn't get quite the clicks or page views that a, a, a splashier story might have gotten, but that has had some actual results as, yeah. you know, because of your reporting. And people who, I think people who matter and who have been following the police really closely, they have seen it. And that's mm-hmm. why I think it has created an impact that it has created. Because, you know, it's different when somebody of, you know, who has been directly impacted, very active voices reading it versus, you know, somebody who might not be a part of the community. Yeah. Well, I could go, I think, on and on with oh Mila gosh. for hours and hours, and I you'll know. have to definitely come back and hang out with us again if you're up for it. Yeah. We'd absolutely love, love to, to hear more from you, Mila. And um, you have to check out Public Source. Do you want to give everybody the uh, web address one more time? Yeah, it's publicsource.org. Please visit us and uh, pitch story ideas. Oh, I love that. I well, know. keep fighting the good fight, Mila. Yeah. Thank We're with you. you. <laughs> Thanks for coming <laughs> Thank on so much. Great to talk to you. show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.
Com.